This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. How can AI solve your business challenges? What's the best way to lead a new sustainability strategy? Staying ahead in your career isn't about knowing the answers, it's about finding them. Learn how to find the answers you need by studying online with London Business School's world-class faculty and industry experts. Search LBS online today. 100% Rindfleisch aus Deutschland. Cheese, Zwiebeln, Ketchup, Senf, Majestätisch gut. Der Hamburger Real Cheese, nur bei McDonalds. In allen teilnehmenden Restaurants, nicht zu unseren Frühstückszeiten. BBC Sounds. Music, Radio, Podcasts. Hello, welcome to this Moneybox podcast. A quarter of a trillion pounds is sitting in bank accounts which pay no interest at all. Should banks be telling us to move it? The government is sending out the final cost of living payment for low-income households this month. It's £299 straight into your bank account. And the rules to get £150 off your electricity bill have changed, so some people who got the discount last winter are not getting it this winter. But first, Moneybox has discovered that around 12,000 unmarried parents with dependent children whose partner has died have just a few days to claim their share of an estimated £175 million in backdated bereavement benefits. Those figures were revealed to us in freedom of information requests to the Department for Work and Pensions. But parents must claim by this Thursday, the 8th of February, or the money will vanish back into the Treasury. Dan Whitworth's here. Dan, exactly who does this affect? Well, if a couple with children were married or in a civil partnership and one of them died, the other was automatically entitled to these payments. But it took years of campaigning and a Supreme Court judgment before the law finally changed, this time last year, to afford cohabiting couples those same rights. Now, Moneybox has learned since then that only around 5,000 out of an estimated 17,000 eligible people have claimed this support, which can often amount to thousands of pounds in backdated benefits, plus, in some cases, payments going forward until their children turn 18. Well, Janet Cowden applied last year after she lost her fiancé, Paul, in a motorbike crash in 2016, but found out she wasn't eligible for benefits because they weren't married. Well, she joined the campaign Widowed and Young, and I went to visit her at her home in Poynton in Cheshire. Hi. Hello, are you Janet? Yes. Hello, Janet. Are you okay with dogs? Yeah, I'm fine with dogs. Hello. He's I'm a done. killer dog. A killer. <laughs> it's about the size of my shoe. <laughs> Want to go in there? Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. The very last picture that me and the boys had with Paul was taken just the day before you died. You look, I mean, you just look really happy. Yeah. You look really so happy. There's two boys. So this is Hudson, who was two at the time, and Jensen, who was three. But when he died, obviously, we weren't married. Everything kind of shut down and um, everything just stopped. And, you know, like he didn't really have time to grieve because it was like, well, h- how am I going to pay the bills? I've got two children. We, I had to then present myself to the job centre and obviously tried to get access to some money from Paul's estate just to be able to 
carry on paying the bills and looking after the children. How did that make you feel then? Um, well, we were made feel like we weren't a family, like we weren't a family unit. We And that all of what we had prior to his death didn't really exist, um, which, was, which wasn't nice because we were a family. We, you know, we lived as a family. Everything about us was a family. We did everything together as a family. But then in the eyes of the, the law and the government, we weren't a family. There was a huge big challenge about that about cohabiting partners and in august 2018 you got some justice i think you'd say so uh, so financially what kind of difference has that made yeah so when we we had to fill the paperwork in and we got i got backdated um a lump sum of several thousand pounds and then moving forward because my children were so young and they still are very young until the boys turn 18 I get a monthly support of several hundred pounds a month to bridge that gap between losing that other parent and not having the two incomes in the house. Financially, how big a deal is that for you, Janet? It's huge because, you know, I, I've never been in this position. Um, I never thought I would be in this position where I'd have lost Paul and we wouldn't have had our, you know, security blanket, if you like. We wouldn't have had that support for my family so it's been huge and for me the biggest win was the injustice of it all and you know feeling like some a system and laws and I, I don't know outdatedness has made me feel like we weren't a family and I don't think anybody should be made feel like that. Janet Cowden well, with me in the studio is Alison Penny. She's director of the Childhood Bereavement Network, which has campaigned on this issue for years. And Alison Penny, a great victory for you last year. We heard how good it was for Janet there. Uh, how disappointed are you, though, that just five days to go to claim nearly 12,000 widowed, unmarried people who could get these payments haven't done so? We're really disappointed by those numbers, Paul, and we know it really is getting to crunch time now. For families bereaved longer ago, they need to get their claim forms into the Department for Work and Pensions by Thursday, and that's a paper claim form, so they need to post it on Monday or Tuesday. We yeah. heard from Janet there the difference that this can make, not only in terms of the finances, but also the recognition of their children's grief. Um, it's been a long-fought campaign, and it would be devastating if families missed out for a second time. Yes, she said she felt as if she wasn't a family, as far as the government was concerned. Um, a bit more detail then on how someone will know if they're eligible. Who can get these payments? So some families bereaved as long ago as 2001 might be eligible for these back payments, as long as they still met the eligibility criteria on the 30th of August 2018 or since that date. That August date is when the Supreme Court ruled that the current rules were unjust. So if they had dependent children on in August 2018, even though their partner might have died you know, in the early 2000s, they can still be eligible. Absolutely. So it's really important that if families think they might be eligible, that they take the time this weekend to check the eligibility criteria and also to understand the impact that making a claim might have on their ongoing benefits and, um, and tax status. 
But also it's really important that any friends or family who know that they have um, a loved one in these circumstances who might have been bereaved that far um, ago... Uh, to have that conversation and it can feel really uncomfortable sometimes to have that conversation or to rake up old ground but it's so important we'd really call on listeners to be brave if you know someone that could be eligible please have a conversation with them this weekend now those are people who can go a long way back but there's also a different payment isn't there for people whose partner died rather more recently That's right. So alongside this campaign, um, the whole bereavement benefits system was overhauled in April 2017. So the criteria are a bit different from people bereaved before that date who might be eligible for a back payment of widowed parents allowance, which is a taxable weekly benefit that interacts with other benefits. And those bereaved after April 2017 who might be eligible for a back payment of bereavement support payment, which can be worth up to almost £10,000. And that benefit doesn't interact in the same way. Mm, And it's tax free, isn't it? So, I mean, it it is slightly complicated. Um, You say they've got to act now. Why are the shutters coming down on Thursday? They've only had 12 months and it's hard to get through to people, isn't it? It is hard to get through to people. And we're so grateful to all of the parents like Janet who shared their story in in an attempt to to raise awareness and and help us to reach um, those 17,000 or more families that we think could be eligible. We don't think there should be a a deadline. Um, We'd like families to be able to continue to claim, but given that there is a deadline, it makes it all the more urgent. Yes, we did ask the DWP, the Department for Work and Pensions, why there was. It didn't actually answer the question, but it did tell us it's it's alerted bereaved parents through stakeholders, by which I imagine it means your organisation and other charities, media and social media campaigns. It's encouraging people to apply. But if there wasn't a deadline, there'd be no need for the rush, would there? No, absolutely. Um, We're really grateful to everybody that's taken the time to share this news. And really, we just need to get it out even more widely over the next few days. Yes, OK. So, Alison Penny, thanks very much. And childhoodbereavementnetwork.org.uk and also widowedandyoung.org.uk have more information. And if you go to gov.uk and search bereavement support payment, you can claim. There's also an official helpline. Ring that if you're in any doubt or confusion. 0800 151 2012. 0800 151 2012. And do remember that deadline next week. Interest rates on savings have risen sharply in the last year. Um, And a quarter of a trillion pounds, though, is still in personal savings accounts that pay no interest at all. Mainly, one imagines, current accounts. New figures this week from the Bank of England revealed that in December, £253 billion, that's a quarter of a trillion, was in what it calls non-interest-bearing deposits, so current accounts normally. That figure is down slightly, 5% less than a year earlier, but it still remains very high. There's some movement of money into better accounts because the same figure showed a year-on-year rise in the amount saved in instant access and fixed-term savings accounts. They now have slightly over £1 trillion between them. Our reporter, Tamsin Craftman, asked these people in Leeds how actively they manage their money. I don't really think about managing it. I just think about surviving (laughs) and having a rent account and having a daily spending account and I don't really think about interest. Do you have a savings account? Uh, No, (laughs) I I don't make enough to save. (laughs) I don't normally go for bank interest savings. I normally go for things on the stock market. The overall 
investment occurred over time is more than what is in a bank. He's a lot better. I definitely rely on like my bank interest and hope for the best. <laughs> I've got a separate savings account to my normal bank account. I don't know if it's got any interest on it or out there. I'm not really bothered. Um, I have a couple of accounts and then some are like fixed bonds and then I try and look for the best like interest. But I'm not really like a stocks and shares girly. That kind of scares me. But I do try and keep them in good interest ones. You sound like someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah, my mum tells me to. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank goodness for mums. People in Leeds there talking to Tamsin Craftman. Well, with me in the studio is James Daly. He's Managing Director of the Consumer Group Fairer Finance. Um, James Daly, some people do check their rates. Most there seem not to. Does that surprise you? Well, no, not really. I mean, obviously, it depends how much money you've got in your account. And we have to remember that, you know, sadly, an awful lot of people don't have very much in their savings, very much to save. And so, you know, the difference between 0% and 5% is still only a a few pounds a year. and, And a lot of people take the decision that it's just not worth shopping around for a better account. The people I worry about are the people who are you know, unaware, blissfully ignorant uh, and and haven't really noticed that rates have gone up from basically zero to five and a quarter percent and are still earning next to nothing when they could be. Yes. Now, six months ago, the regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, told banks they needed to do more to make sure savers were getting good rates. Why did they do it then? Well, they introduced uh, a new set of regulations called the Consumer Duty last year. Uh, And what those essentially say is that banks have to prove they are working to deliver good customer outcomes. And obviously, uh, that's quite challenging in the face of the old savings business model, where they brought you in on a high rate, put you down to a low rate after the introductory offer period, and then kept quiet and hoped you'd leave your money there. Um, Now, at the very least, they need to be communicating to you clearly and making it really easy to switch and letting you know that there are better deals if you're on a poor rate. Yeah, it's hardly a good consumer outcome, is it, if you're sitting there earning no money at all. So they should be doing something. And UK Finance, which represents the banks, told us that many of its members have been contacting their customers to let them know about different savings accounts that are available. Is that your experience? Are they doing enough? Well, they're starting to do something. I think they're looking over their shoulder and seeing how much they can get away with because every day they continue to have these very large balances where they're paying no interest. They're obviously reinvesting that and making a a turn of 5% or something on it. Um, And you'll notice that bank profits are at record levels at Mm -hmm. the moment. Because, of course, they can put money with the Bank of England and earn the bank rate, can't they? Five and a quarter percent. Right, exactly. Um, But we are starting to see banks... Uh, write to customers for the first time in the old days, they'd send them a statement and they wouldn't even put the interest rate on it. They keep quiet about that. Now, you know, they're actually saying you're on a low rate. We've got better rates. Uh, they're trying to make it easier when you log into your online accounts to switch. Um, but there's more they could be doing, I think, even than they're doing now. Yes. And of course, if it's a current account, it's not a savings account. So it's even more difficult for them to say, by the way, we have these savings accounts, isn't it? Well, I think current accounts is a different story, actually. And I think there it's a bit more egregious. If you go back 15, 16 years before the financial crisis, when rates were last at over 5%, most banks did pay some credit interest on current accounts. But that all disappeared over the last 15 years. And now they're continuing to pay nothing. And they're putting that straight through to their shareholders. It doesn't seem like fair value to me. No, very, very few pay. I think one or two pay a very low amount, don't they? Now, finally, the the Financial Conduct Authority told us it's committed to taking robust action against these firms. Six months on, has it taken any robust action briefly? Not really, no. I mean, I think that was all about sort of 
flexing their muscle because they were being lent on by their political masters. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot they can do uh, on the front book. They can't force banks to pay great rates, but they are forcing them to communicate better. James Daly, Affair of Finance, thanks very much. Uh, if you have savings languishing in a low interest account, or perhaps you don't even know you do, wonder if it's worth moving to a tax-free ISA. If you're interested in interest, in other words, listen to Moneybox Live on Wednesday when Felicity Hanna and her panel will answer your questions or comments. Email them or send a voice note to moneybox at bbc.co.uk. She'd love to hear from you. The government will start putting £299 cost-of-living payments into the bank accounts of around 8 million people on means-tested benefits starting on Tuesday. The payments are given automatically to people who qualify. You don't need to apply. And Moneybox's Ema Devlin has the details. Ema. So firstly, this £299 is the last of three cost-of-living payments for people who are on means-tested benefits such as pension credit, universal credit or tax credits. It will be paid sometime from Tuesday up until the 22nd of February and as you say, the payments are given automatically to people who are already on one of those benefits. You don't need to do anything to get it, it's tax-free for everyone and doesn't affect other benefits. Now you mentioned some of the benefits they must be getting, what else do they need in order to qualify? The money is paid to those who receive a means-tested benefit during the qualifying period between the 13th of November and the 12th of December, but people over 66 are in a special position. If they're over 66 years old and on a low income, they may be eligible for pension credit. They still need to be entitled to it during that qualifying period, but people who don't get pension credit already can claim it now, and unlike other benefits, it will be backdated for three months. That sneaks you into the qualifying period, but you must apply by the 5th of March and ask for it to be backdated. When you get the pension credit, the £299 extra payment will be made automatically. Ema Devlin, thanks very much. The warm home discount is £150 off one winter electricity bill. It's paid for by the energy firms, but the rules are set by the government. Last year, a major change in England and Wales ex- excluded an estimated 300,000 people on disability benefits. And this winter, there have been further adjustments, which mean that some people who got the payment last winter aren't entitled this winter. Moneybots listener Rochelle is one. She used to get the discount because she was on the disability benefit called PIP. And she continued to get it last winter because her home was classified as hard to heat. But this winter, it hasn't arrived. Because I haven't received it for this year, I started to sort of query why that was. And I looked online and found a couple of bits of information. And I actually phoned the government helpline. There is now a checklist to see whether you're eligible. And they've changed the criteria. And it's about a 40-year-old block of flats, but we're single glazed, but no insulation, really. I've got one decent storage heater, but there's a very old one. So there's no thermostat control or anything. The last energy performance certificate, my property is rated E, which is really quite bad. But they're saying because it's a newer property and it's under a certain floor space, anyone won't qualify that is in those conditions. It doesn't matter how disabled you are doesn't matter what rate of pip you're getting if you're in a more modern building under a certain floor size you will not get it in england and wales warm home discount doesn't have to be claimed it's automatically taken off your electricity bill if you meet the criteria nearly one million low-income pensioners who get the guaranteed credit part of pension credit are entitled whatever sort of home they live in a second group though of around one and a half million people like rochelle get it if they 
have a government means-tested benefit or they're on tax credits. But this group must also live in a home classified as hard to heat when Rochelle has been told she no longer does under the new rules. She'll cope this year, she says, but she fears for next winter. This year, I mean, it's a shock, but this year it's not the end of the world for me because I've had those £300 payments, which have been a huge help. But next year, if they don't change the rules and they don't do the cost of living payment, I will be significantly worse off because I won't get any help at all. Well, listening to that is Matt Copeland. He's head of policy at National Energy Action. Matt Copeland, I mentioned the big change last winter. Who did that exclude? So last winter, um, the big change was to remove disability benefits from the qualifying benefits criteria. So we think that meant that about half a million people who used to uh, qualify and often received a warm home discount because they were disabled and received things like PIP or DLA um, could no longer access the warm home discount. Right. And, and then they, it was paid automatically last winter, but you had to fulfil this extra criteria. You had to get means-tested benefits and you had to be estimate, it had to be estimated that you were in a hard-to-heat home. Um, this year, that's, those criteria seem to have changed. How have they changed? So year on year, what happens with the warm home discount is that um, under the current rules, there's only a certain number of discounts that can be given out. So what the government does is it it looks at everyone who's in receipt of means-tested benefits. It makes an estimate of um, their their heating bills, their their, their need for heat, how hard their house is to heat. And if you're one of the lucky ones that's in that more than a half million that's the the hardest to heat, then you'll receive the discount by the esti- by their estimates. Um, but unfortunately, if you're on the wrong side of that line, you won't. So that criteria might not be consistent. And it depends on the homes of other people who are in receipt of means-tested benefits as well. Yeah, so they sort of move the line year by year to keep the amount paid out or the number of, of discounts paid out the same. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. And unfortunately, what that means is that... Um, some people like Rochelle may get it one year, but not another year when their circumstance hasn't changed at all. Yes, I mean, she's, also, a, unf- she's in a single glazed flat. She's got an old storage heater and uh, her energy performance is, is E, which is pretty low. I mean, to, to anyone listening to that, they would think, well, of course, she's in a hard to heat home. Absolutely. And I agree. Um, I've been looking at the data from last winter, actually, which which the government has released this morning. And um, there is a bit of discrepancy between the households in fuel poverty. So I think two thirds of um, of households with sort of medium or low floor spaces are in um, two thirds of fuel poor households have medium or low floor spaces. But only a third of recipients of the warm home discount have the same uh, limit on their floor space. So, uh, And I should say, I mean, being in fuel poverty is something that is clearly defined, isn't it? There is a definition. Absolutely. Of that. Yes. Um, so. The government makes these changes because it's only going to give a certain amount of money. The Department for Energy Security told Moneybox that the changes it made to warm home discount last winter, which is the winter before this, uh, that meant that three million households get it automatically. They had to claim before, of course, and some of them didn't get it when the money ran out. Um, So it's better in that sense. But are you saying there's now another sort of lottery about how hard to heat your home is for people like Rochelle? Absolutely. I think when they made the changes to make it automatic and actually made the scheme slightly bigger as well, 
Um, they were positive changes. It, it, it was better than having to apply for it and suppliers sort of applying their own criteria. But now, largely because we're in an energy crisis with many more people in fuel poverty, the scheme is just not big enough for the discounts mm. to go to the number of people it needs to go to. So it does create this other lottery where an algorithm essentially is choosing who gets it and who doesn't. Yes. And what can people do, if, like Rochelle, if they haven't got it and they were expecting it? Um, I mean, she rang the helpline. Does that do any good? It is worth ringing the helpline because it might be that you have some data on your home or some information on your home that the government doesn't have and that could impact um, your outcome. But another thing I should say is that um, some people where the government doesn't have enough data to make a decision on whether your house is hard to treat or not, you may receive a letter saying that you could get it. It is important to look at that letter and respond to it because that might give you access to the discount. Matt Copeland of National Energy Action, thanks. And that warm home discount helpline is 0800 030 9322. 0800 030 9322. I should say Scotland has its own similar warm home discount scheme. Most people there do have to apply, though, and there is no scheme in Northern Ireland. Of course, you can keep your finances warm and snugly by listening to the Moneybox podcast every week. And if you don't subscribe, then that's a good tip so you never miss an episode. And remember, there is a live broadcast if you want to hear it first every Saturday, midday, BBC Radio 4. Your stories inspire many of our items, as you've heard today. Email us, moneybox at bbc.co.uk. We do read them all. You might even get on the show. In today's podcast, the team was Dan Whitworth, Tamsin Craftman, Ema Devlin, Sandra Hardiel and Joe Krasner. Studio manager, Kelly Young. Our editor is Jess Quayle. I'm Paul Lewis and this was a BBC News Money and Work production for BBC Sounds. Now, Nick Wallace puts his stamp on the post office scandal. The post office horizon scandal has shocked Britain. Post office IT scandal, which has had so much publicity, mm. hasn't it, over the last... This is a scandal of historic proportions. I've been following the story for more than a decade, hearing about the suffering of sub-postmasters like Joe Hamilton and Alan Bates. It was just horrendous. The whole thing was horrendous. I was told you can't afford to take on post office. And about their extraordinary fight for justice. What, what was motivating you? Well, it was wrong what they did. <laughs> Listen to the true story at first hand from the people who lived it in the great post office trial from BBC Radio 4 with me, Nick Wallace. Subscribe on BBC Sounds. How can AI solve your business challenges? What's the best way to lead a new sustainability strategy? Staying ahead in your career isn't about knowing the answers, it's about finding them. Learn how to find the answers you need by studying online with London Business School's world-class faculty and industry experts. Search LBS online today. Leute, habt ihr Bock darauf, eure Versicherung in den Griff zu kriegen und dafür 30 Euro Shoppinggutschein abzustauben? Hier ist übrigens Tara vom Podcast Tara sagt was und ich sage euch, ladet euch die Clark App runter und nutzt bei der Anmeldung mein Code Tara sagt Clark. Alles groß und zusammengeschrieben. Da kriegt ihr nicht nur eure Verträge gecheckt, sondern ihr könnt euch auch kostenlos und unabhängig von den Expertinnen beraten lassen. Also probiert Clark aus und holt euch den 30 Euro Shoppinggutschein für Ikea, Amazon und Co. mit dem Code Tara sagt Clark. Oh.